My name is Mohsin Hamid, and my latest book is The Last White Man. When Exit West was released in 2017, I spoke with author Mohsin Hamid about migration and his incorporation of magical portals to propel the story. The novel went on to win numerous literary prizes, including the Aspen Words Literary Prize, and was shortlisted for the Booker Prize and was a finalist for the Kirkus Prize. Mohsin Hamid's newest novel is titled The Last White Man. It imagines a world where, one by one, every white person's skin turns darker, and it explores the chaos and complicated emotions that follow. I recently spoke with Mohsin Hamid about The Last White Man and how his own experience after 9-11 inspired it. I'm Beth Golay, this is Marginalia, and here's our conversation. So can you give our listeners a description of the novel? Yeah, so in the novel, what happens is that um, we begin with a young man named Anders who wakes up uh, in his bed and he discovers that his skin is dark. And when he went to bed the night before, it wasn't. And uh, this predicament uh, begins to spread. In the advanced copy that we received, you included a letter to the reader about how your own experience shaped the book, specifically the loss of whiteness you experienced after September 11th. 2001. And you remind readers that race is a construct, specifically the meanings we assign to race. And I was particularly struck in the letter when you reminded the reader that skin colors in and of themselves are no more meaningful than blood types. So can you talk to me about how this idea shaped the course of the book? Yeah, well, I remember uh, before 9-11, before 2001, I'd spent more than half of my life in the U.S., and I was living in New York City, a very cosmopolitan city. I'd gone to these elite universities. I had a well-paying job. And by and large, of course, I didn't live a life entirely free of discrimination, but, uh, but I didn't feel that my life faced any great impediments or that I was particularly having any difficulty doing what I wanted to do, living where I wanted to live or working where I wanted to work or dating who I wanted to date. Life felt you know, fairly unencumbered. And then suddenly, after 9-11, something strange happened. I began to get pulled aside at airports for enhanced security screening. I'd fly into a country and be held for many hours at immigration, being questioned. I might board a bus or a train with a backpack, slightly unshaven, and people would look uncomfortable or nervous. Sometimes they would change their seat. And I realized that somehow I had become a figure of, of suspicion and maybe even of threat. And for a long time, I wanted things to go back to the way they were before. I I felt this sense of loss, and I I wanted what I'd lost to come back to me. But as I thought about it, as the years passed, I thought, you know, what have I lost? You know, what was this thing that I used to have that I don't have anymore? And I thought, you know, perhaps what I've lost is a kind of partial whiteness, a partial sense of belonging to the mainstream of society, of being the normal type of person, not a threatening or suspicious type of person. And, um, of course, I have brown skin and a Muslim name, so I wasn't, you know, white. But my life had many of the benefits of being white, which suddenly felt like they were gone. And that got me thinking about whether this is something I should want back. You know, whether, in fact, instead of thinking, I hope that I go back to the way things were, I should consider whether the way things were maybe wasn't that great. Maybe I was complicit in something. Maybe I had participated in something that... I should examine more closely. And, and then as a couple of decades went by, those thoughts, I guess, found their way into a novel about a man who had been white and wakes up one day dark. 
And so I want to make sure I understand this correctly. The origins of this book began after 9-11, but you wrote it recently, correct? Yeah, I wrote it the last five years or so, uh, particularly, I guess, uh, last three or four years. So if, you know, the story ruminated in your head for a couple of decades, if you had written it in 2001 instead, would it have been a different book? Well, in 2007, I wrote a novel called The Reluctant Fundamentalist. And that's a story of a young man who's working in New York City who suddenly finds um, himself, I guess, subject to these suspicions, but also his own sense of loyalty. Where does he belong to? What side is he on? Uh, you know, if, if you have to be either with us or against us, is he you know, with America or against America? Uh, in a sense, uh, that novel came closer, I suppose, to my own experiences, even if the main character was quite different from me. Uh, I'm somebody who feels that it's important to be multiple things, to be a hybrid or a mongrel. And the main character of the Russian fundamentalist felt like you had to choose. You had to be either one thing or another thing. So in a sense, that was a novel that dealt specifically with, with I suppose, 9-11 and its fallout and the mutual suspicion. But 15 years later, this new novel is something a little bit different. It's a book that looks, in a sense, from the inside at what it might feel like to be white and to lose that whiteness and to consider, in a sense, a world where race begins to fall apart and where we don't have the navigating cues of race. In a way, I suppose, if I got the fundamentalist, for me, was a little bit about looking back uh, at something that had happened and that I was considering. The Last White Man is, in a sense, about looking forward at what could be. So the novel reads like a story or a, a fable passed down maybe from one generation to another, and it, it felt like a cautionary tale. And in that letter you just mentioned, you also wrote that, quote, novels are created jointly by writers who write words and by readers who transform the words into people, images, feelings. So is it you who made this a cautionary tale, or am I, as a reader, projecting that description on the novel? Well, it's hard for me to say. I've been both of us, probably. You know, it's a bit like, you know, when you have an argument with a friend. Who was at fault? You know, probably both of you. I think that the novel is, I suppose, more than one thing. It has within it elements of a cautionary tale because the world that Anders and Una, who is this woman that he has been seeing, and, and Una's mother and Anders' father, who are the four main characters of this story, that world becomes very disrupted and there's a certain degree of violence and unrest that ensues. But at the same time, there's also things that are gained. Una and Anders come to see each other differently. You know, what had been a more casual relationship, um, one that uh, perhaps didn't feel like it was, had any great significance, changes. Una comes to actually see Anders better as Anders changes. It's as though Anders looking different allowed Una to see who Anders really was. She could, in a way, understand what Anders was. And their relationship deepens. And also... As the novel progresses, you know, a new kind of world is being born. So uh, I think it has elements, I suppose, of a cautionary tale, but it also has elements of something else, of other places we might go, and of how this sense of loss that the characters experience isn't only a sense of loss, but also an opportunity for something new. You know, you just mentioned like the violence and the, and the unrest, and it's pretty incredible how the world seems to fall apart as more people's skin color darkens. And at one point, there are power outages just because of all the chaos it has caused. And some might think this is extreme, but it was it was eye opening, the way skin color affects so many things that seem completely unrelated. And I can only imagine that the heaviness this might have caused you as you really reflected on these possibilities. How how did it feel for you to write this? Well, um, you know, it, it was a very, um, 
propulsive or almost compulsive way of writing. I've had novels that were sort of slower processes. This one, once I figured out, in a sense, how to write it, uh, once I figured out who it was about and my way into it and how the sentences would work and what, what the nature of it was, it came very quickly. It was, it was a bit like, I think I inhabited the world of this novel and I inhabited these characters. And to a certain extent, I became these characters and trying to make these characters. And it flowed very naturally for me. So much so that it was a very difficult book for me to edit because I almost didn't want to change anything I'd written. It, it was as though I'd written it under a trance. And I was afraid that afterwards, touching it uh, would do damage to it. It was, it was strange. You know, you mentioned structure and, and editing, and I want to talk a bit about that because I read an early review of The Last White Man. It was by Colleen Lutz Clemens in World Literature Today. And she wrote, quote, with most of the paragraphs built of only one sentence, the novel tells the story in phrases, each one containing a full story of its own. One cannot blink when reading this novel. Otherwise, one may miss an important detail of the backstory or an intimation of what is to come. And the other night, I was in a, a Zoom with my short story discussion group, and, and one of the members of the group is a professor of English, and she said that she teaches Exit West for her classes. And she says one of the activities that she does with her classes, they select a random page number, and then they select a random number corresponding to a word on that page. And the students are then tasked with studying that word and working out why you chose it in that instance. And she, you know, even the most innocuous words have meaning. She said that this activity never fails with your books. So how much work or how much thought goes into winnowing those sentences down to perfection? And does the structure make you feel limited or did it offer you a sort of freedom? Well, I, I'm uh, the kind of, I suppose, writer who very much feels that structure gives freedom. I think that it's a bit like wearing the same clothes every day. You know, if you wear the same clothes every day, you can think about something else. And so in the same sense, um, you know, we imagine that the limitations of, of structural choices make things more difficult for us, but they don't. They actually make things easier. We see this in music, for example. Uh, you have a particular rhythm, you have a particular key, you have particular um, elements of choice that you've made. And then once you have those things, you improvise around them. So for me, I think the choices of that I would only have these two named characters. I really, really only have four sort of primary characters, that the book would be quite small, that uh, the place would be unnamed, that uh, we would see really entire life arcs, but in a very small space. These things were incredibly liberating. Also, I suppose for me, a big part of how I think of novels is I, I do think of novels as something that readers and writers build together. And so I imagine my novels as, as, as half novels that readers take in making into their own novels. And so when you leave space, when you don't define a place or you don't give characters names or you describe things quite briefly, it leaves a lot of room for readers to imagine for themselves. You know, what exactly does Anders look like that morning? Where is this town? What does happen in the interlude between now and, and the end of the book? And for me, that is very useful because I think of, of fiction in a way as, as like digging a well, the writing of fiction. You, know, you make a void in your day, a few hours, where you don't do anything else. And then something comes into that void, like water coming into a well. And reading is like that too. If you leave space for the reader, the reader will put things in that space, you know, from their own well. And so at the end of it, the reader's left with an experience. 
And um, uh, I try to, I, I suppose, write quite small novels that are crafted as best as I can craft them, but that are also full of gaps because I think those gaps are really fertile for readers. You know, there was an arc of sorts from when Anders awoke and realized his skin was no longer white and when he felt the gaze of the white man on him. But then before long, more and more people were changed and he was no longer in the minority. And I started thinking about that. You know, even the words minority and majority and their implied meanings are so powerful if you think about it. So can you talk to me about, you know, skin color is a construct, but majority and minority are also a construct. I mean, are they not? Yeah, they are. I think... um... I think that you know, race is something that we've invented. So for example, the ancient Greeks would have regarded race as a very different notion than a 21st century American might regard race. Uh, and race is something different in Pakistan or India than it is in Britain than it is in the United States. So I think we do make this stuff up. But having made it up, it has real power. Uh, like many things that, that come from our imaginations, it can be enormously powerful and, and enormously dangerous and destructive also. For me, what that leaves us with is we live in a world that is already a little bit like a fable. We live in a world that is already a bit like a fiction. And we've sort of inherited this fiction. And what literature gets us to do, or what art gets us to do, and storytelling gets us to do, is to re-engage with that and to say, you know, what if we were to tell this fable differently? And what if we were to imagine this thing differently? I don't think we can simply say, oh, I've read a book and now we've imagined a new uh, future for all of humanity. But I think that the various ways in which we allow ourselves to imagine things differently is very important. And as we become older, as we become adults, we're much less likely to play make-believe in, in the way that we do as children. But it's a very important thing for us to do. So for the reader in this novel, the idea is to offer an invitation. You know, it, it's less that the novel is offering a kind of message, that this is what you should take away. Instead, the novel is offering a chance to play make-believe together. And afterwards, once we're done playing make-believe together, you, the reader, by yourself, will reflect on what you think that meant. What did you do? What did that reveal about you and about our world? And, and hopefully, all of us you know, can find a way to see things differently from, I think, many of the tyrannies that we are, are sort of gripped by today. You have reimagined a future in The Last White Man. And and we spoke about Exit West a few years ago. And in both of those novels, you incorporate a bit of magical realism in your works to imagine these futures. Can the world do this without the benefit of magic? Do you feel hopeful that the world might someday be able to abandon the meanings we assign to race? Or is that purely fiction? Well, I think there's different aspects to that. First of all, the world doesn't really exist in that way. The world is a bunch of us. Uh, individuals. And we individuals sort of fall into different groups and maybe generations. And one thing which happens in human society is it may be that we don't change our views too much, uh, or we change them slightly as we get older. But as one generation gives way to the next generation, things do change. The contemporary way of thinking about race, you know, didn't exist 500 years ago. It's unlikely to exist 500 years from now. We shouldn't regard these things as, as immutable. You know, there was no United States of America, uh, whatever it was, a quarter century ago. Um, and, and now there is. You know, will there be one a quarter century from now, uh, a quarter millennia from now? Uh, I don't know. But we, I think, can sometimes make the mistake of imagining that the way things are is the way that they have always been and the way they always will be. And that isn't true in our lives and it isn't true in history. You know, I haven't always been 51. 
I'm still, you know, kind of shocked that I am 51. In my sort of mental image of myself, I'm, I'm probably half that age, if not less. And this happens to us as we get older. Things suddenly change. We enter places that we didn't expect to enter in our lives, in, our, in the arcs of our lives. So I don't think that it's impossible for us to imagine our way out of our predicaments. I think that we will imagine our way out of our predicaments. What's interesting is, can we do that in a slightly more compressed time scale? You know, is it possible in a couple of hours to imagine differently or in a couple of years? Because certainly in a couple of centuries, we will be imagining very differently from how we're imagining now. We have talked about a lot. Is there anything that you want to talk about that I haven't asked? Um, no, I think we've covered, we've covered a, lot of, a lot of ground. I think you know, one thing um, that, uh, uh, that's, I guess, very important to me when I think about this novel and, and Exit West to a certain extent too, is that in contemporary culture, we spend so little time dealing with loss. We try to pretend that things are permanent. You know, whether that's in our own lifetimes and we sort of turn our, our, away from the idea of mortality, or whether it's because we imagine that you know, America will remain this way or Pakistan will remain that way, we tend not to think about loss. And we can become quite anxious. And then that anxious anxiety is something that somebody sells us stuff to. We're marketed to our anxiety. One of the things I suppose that I'm trying to do in The Last White Man is to look really in the face of that loss. Of, of characters experiencing a profound sense of loss, of something which I may not necessarily think of as, as a good thing, but which is, which is of enormous significance to them. And to have, in a sense, compassion for the feeling of loss, even if one doesn't agree with somebody's view of what it is that they're losing. And I think that, in a sense, the fact that we're all losing things, that we all lose you know, our parents, we all lose our youth, we all lose everything in our lives, actually, affords us a kind of universal way in to what it is to be a human being. So, so The Last White Man is, um, I suppose, less of a proclamation and more of a eulogy that also has within it a kind of hope. Well, the book is The Last White Man. Mohsen Hamid, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. That was Mohsen Hamid, author of the book The Last White Man, which was published by Riverhead Books. Thanks for joining us for Marginalia. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review. Marginalia was produced at KMUW Wichita. Our engineers are Mark Stasser and Torin Anderson. Our editor is Luann Stevens. Our producer is Haley Krausen, and our marketing assistant is Carly Cooper. This is Marginalia, and for KMUW, I'm Beth Golay.